0: September 11th, uh, 2001, most of you remember that as uh, a 9 11 uh, crisis in our country. We had a uh, missions team, short term missions team in China on September 11th, 2001. We got stuck there. They wouldn't let us fly home. And so we were there, I think, four or five days longer than we were supposed to be. The thing I remember most about that trip to China was uh, yak butter tea. Uh, they, they got these little animals, look like, I mean, they're cows, but they're short and they're hairy, and they're yaks. And uh, the, the people where we were at, they're in high elevations, and they have these yaks, and they milk them, obviously, and they, and they get the cream, and they make butter, but they don't have any refrigeration. And, uh, and they eat a lot of it because it's cold, and it supplied some calories for them. And because they don't have any refrigeration, the butter, the yak butter, gets really, really rancid, and I don't know what it is about yaks. But their butter, when it was rancid, it was awful. And what they would do is they'd drink this tea. They would have regular tea and they'd put a big old scoop of this butter in there and they'd stir it up and melt in the tea. And the first time we went into a home and they handed me a cup of this tea and it was, I I knew, I thought, I'm going to totally embarrass, I'm just going to puke all over. This stuff is, I mean, I've never had anything that I couldn't eat except that stuff. And I asked the missionary, I said, would I offend them if I don't drink this? He said, probably. So I would blow the butter off to the side and sip on the tea and drug it out until, uh, you know, we had to go. And, oh, well, saved. We, got to, we had to leave before I had to drink too much of the stuff. And we went to another home, and at this place here, they offered us some Siberian tea. And I thought, oh, cool, no more yak butter tea. Yeah, I'll take some Siberian tea. And it was the same stuff with a different name. It was awful. I mean, it was just disgusting. Uh, I, the thought of it even now just sort of gives me shivers. Uh, up my spine. uh, I didn't like it. There's some things you don't like. That's just you. You don't like it. Uh, That's just the way you are. Did you know there's some things that we have in common as far as what we like and don't like? my grandkids, a bunch of them have been over to our house with Christmas and New Year's and so they've been all over there and a bunch of them are the same age and they see each other regularly but not a lot and so when they all get in the same room and there's an assortment of toys we have these regular little skirmishes and, uh, and so when they don't get what they want they do different things a, a couple of them they flop down on their back and scream a couple of others flop down on their stomach and scream uh, several of them flop down their back and they kick their feet and, and, um, and make all kinds of gyrations. You know, they, but generally speaking, they all uh, throw a fit. And as I was sitting there in my chair watching this go on in my living room, I think, whoa, they all take after their grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Somebody asked me about teaching kids to work. I said, you know, every kid, without exception, is born lazy. And you have to teach them how to work and how to enjoy work. We live in this physical body and it has some things in common. You see it in kids, they're all the same, they have things that they do. So the thing I want to talk about this morning is the fact that this physical body that we live in uh, does not like God, not attracted to God. And everything else being equal, left to its own, we will move farther and farther and farther away from God to this physical body that we live in, God is sort of like yak butter tea. Uh, we don't like it and we would choose uh, not to have him as part of our life if it were up to our flesh, uh, this body that we live in. So we're in the Gospel of John, that's the theme that we're in. Uh, and so we're in John chapter 5, let me read to you the verse, first 17 verses. After these things there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, he was actually going south from Galilee uh, down to Judea into Jerusalem. Uh, but because uh, Jerusalem was one of the highest cities in the whole area, whenever you read about it, everybody always goes up because you're going uphill. And if you take a visit to, to Israel, uh, go on a tour there, you'll recognize and see that. And so he's going up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticles or porches, five flat areas. In these lay a multitude, a multitude, a whole bunch of people of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered. I mean, every ailment imaginable, they were all gathered around this place. The sick, the blind, the lame, and the withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. You can imagine, that would be a popular place to hang out, uh, whatever you were suffering from. And um, So whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. I mean, can you imagine being there for 38 years? Now, he couldn't move very well, and uh, we'll see that in the story, and so he was sleeping on a pallet, a a little bed, as it were, and he had been in the same spot for 38 years. That's a long time to be stuck in the same spot, waiting for your chance to get in the water, and somebody was always getting in ahead of him. Uh, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? Interesting question, isn't it? Uh, Now, Jesus always did that. Uh, He said to the blind man, What do you want me to do for you? he liked them to say uh, an expression of faith, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir I have no man to put me into the pool but the water is stirred up when the water is stirred up but while I am coming another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. He didn't touch him, didn't do anything, he just said stand up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now, if you were anywhere around and saw this, this dude has been laying in his pallet for 38 years. Stuck in one spot. And now all of a sudden he stands up, picks up his pallet, just simply on the basis of a word that Jesus says. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Now, can you imagine how really absurd this is? Here's this guy that's been stuck 38 years on a bed and all of a sudden he stands up, picks up his bed and his walk and people look at him and the only thing, instead of saying, wow, he's like, what are you doing? Dude, you can't do this. This is a Sabbath day. Lay back down. Uh, and so they get all bent out of shape. It was the Sabbath. And um, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it's a Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. He answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me. He basically says, not my idea. Uh, The the guy that cured me, he's the one who told me to walk and to pick up my pallet. Pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Now look at this. This guy's been healed. He's been stuck in a bed for 38 years. And he says, then he went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Uh, Just kind of squealed on him. Can't believe he'd do such a thing. He did it. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things. Um, Now from this story, I'd like to land right there. The Jews were persecuting Jesus. And it's kind of amazing. There was hardly a sick person in the country. Jesus cast out demons, healed the sick, healed the blind. I mean, things that were so amazing. Walked on water, fed the multitudes, and they were persecuting him. Because he did this on the Sabbath. So if you have your notes, number one, John wrote the Gospel of John like a theology paper rather than a simple narrative on the life of Jesus. Now, remember, he's old, about probably 90 years of age when he writes the Gospel of John. He actually wrote the Gospel of John after the book of Revelation. And, uh, and so he's kind of seen it all. The church has been around for 50 years or longer. The persecution, Christians being burned at the stake, the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, all of that has happened and so at his age, as he's seen the church grow and things happen, as he writes the Gospel of John, he wants to, he's pretty thoughtful about how he does it. And so he picks out just a few stories. There's only seven miracles of all the thousands that Jesus performed that are recorded in the Gospel of John, so he's quite uh, uh, precise in the way he does it. Number two and you know, it's John developed major themes that begin at the beginning of the Gospel, then grow and culminate at the end of the book. So if you look at chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, you'll see in there some topics that are covered, and you'll see the topic go all the way through to the end of the book. its I don't know if you knew this or not, but I got my fish yesterday, 110 little fishies about one inch long. I got them in a cooler, uh, and I hauled them home, and I have this tank in my greenhouse, and they're all in there. And, uh, and as they get big, and they, they, did you I don't know if you knew this, this tilapia double in size every day, if you feed them enough food, and they're going to get big, and I'm going to eat them. And, but in the meantime, they're in this pond, and we're pumping the water out of there into these grow beds, and I'm going to grow plants in my, I've got these little um, seeds growing, and somebody said, what kind of, what are you going to grow in your grow beds? I mean, I bought every seed that they sell. You can't do that. Well, why can't I? It's, it's mine. I can do anything I want. Did you know that when I grew up on the farm, my dad did uh, was men's work, women's work. And uh, I never did any women's work because that was against the rules. I just did men's work. One of the women's jobs was work in the garden. Men's job was milk cows, put in hay. And so, you know, we've always had a garden, but I've never, ever done anything in the garden. It's always been Patty's garden. But now I have my own garden. I have a greenhouse. I have the grow beds. I have my fish. And I'm going to plant one of Everything. One squash, one tomato, one spinach plant, one rutabaga, one uh, part... People say, one of every... That's kind of stupid. It's my garden. I'll do it the way I want. Now that's the way the Gospel of John is. At the very beginning, there's side of one of everything planted, and it grows all the way through to the end of the Gospel of John. And you can study that topic as John uh, talks about it through the Gospel. One of the major themes, John number two, John developed major themes that go through this thing. Number three, one of the major themes is the rejection of Jesus as the promised Messiah ending in his crucifixion. It's a theme he starts at the beginning and goes all the way and builds and builds and builds into the end of the book. The fact that Jesus was crucified, he was rejected. Now what's interesting is that Messiah fever, a term, uh, was at its peak during the time of Jesus. See, the Jews had been conquered by everybody. By the Babylonians and, and by the Persians and by the Greeks and, and the Romans were running the show when Jesus was born and, and you know they, they, for years all these empires were controlling their country and they were just chafing under this and they read all the promises in the Old Testament about the Messiah being the king of the world and, and, and the ruler of their land and they wanted the Messiah and they prayed for the Messiah and they hoped for the Messiah and, and the Messiah uh, fever was at, at peak when Jesus was born but they reject him and crucify him on a cross. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, it's Jesus. In the beginning, that's before there was anything, just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, not an Adam of anything existed except God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus was God with the Father. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He created it all, Jesus did. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness didn't comprehend it, didn't get it, didn't understand it. John 1.10, he was in the world, the world was made through him, the world did not know him, the world did not know him, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him, did not receive him. John 3.16, the most famous verse of every verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. John 5.16 For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus. The Jews were persecuting Jesus. John 5.18 For this reason therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Interesting that they got offended by that because the prophecies of the coming Messiah declares that's exactly who he would be. Uh, John 6:66. 6, now, The context of John 6 is that a whole bunch of people were following Jesus because he had fed them all this food miraculously and he had healed everybody. But he started teaching some kind of tough stuff about what they needed to do and how they needed to live. They were going to follow him, and as a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew. And we're not walking with, him, walking with him anymore. You might say they backslid, fell away. John 7, 30, for they were seeking to seize him. And it builds. Number four, the plan of God from the beginning, way back in the beginning when there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, nothing else existed. When they decided to grow their family and to create us in his image and in his likeness like him so that we could love him and he could love us and we could live with him in heaven for all of eternity. Um, when the plan was formulated there was this understanding that if we're going to create beings in our image who are going to love us a key requirement is that they can choose. a free will that's what love uh, requires and so Uh, there's going to be the probability that they're not going to love us, they're going to sin, they're going to do things. And so at the very beginning, the plan that Jesus would come in the world to deal with this sin issue was formulated. Um, That he would leave heaven, become flesh, become like us uh, in every detail. He would pay the price of our sin. That was decided before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, I delivered to you as of first importance, First importance, this is like number one on the list. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. Why? So that he might bring us to God. So that we can live in heaven forever and ever and ever. Number five, in order for people to have all their sins forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life, they must believe in Jesus and receive the gift. Receive the gift. Uh, You know, if we wanted to chat after the service, we could say, hey, did you get any nice things for Christmas? Uh, You know the kind of gifts I like to get for Christmas? The ones that are in envelopes. Uh, I got two gifts that I really, really like, both in envelopes. One of them was a $100 gift card to Cabela's, my favorite store in all the world. And the other one was a $50 gift card to Cabela's. I got $150 to Cabela's. Now, when they said, Pastor D, here's a gift for you, I took it. That's what you do when a gift is given. You receive it. And so, Jesus, God, left heaven, came into this world, became flesh, lived like we do, was nailed to a cross, the sins of the world, my sins, your sins were put on him, and he paid the price, he experienced the wrath of God and all we have to do in order to have eternal life is to believe what he did was for us and accept the free gift. That's all we have to do. John 1.12, as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To many as receive him, accept this free gift, believe in his name, they give, they're given this right. Number six, the natural tendency of all people, every individual has this tendency because of our pride, is to reject the gift that God has given or we push it away like we would yak butter tea. That's just what everybody does. <clears throat> My brother, Matt, now if you see him this week, don't tell him this story. But he, uh, he said, I have a Christmas present for you. I said, cool. What is it? He said, I'm making you a cane. He's into making canes, you know, really nice, pretty, fancy canes. And I need you to measure to see how long you need it. You know, he says... I'm making you present, I'm making you cane and so when somebody gives you a gift it's like, "Oh, thank you." But my thought was, "I don't need your stupid cane. What do you think I am, a cripple?" I mean, just cuz I have Parkinson's, I'm good for another 20 years, man. Now, I didn't say that. And don't tell him I said that. So, gift is given. I wasn't particularly excited about taking it. Why? I don't need that so Jesus came into the world and died for the sins of the world died for my sins and your sins and people reject it they push it away like they would yak butter tea we're all every individual without exception uh, because I don't need God I can do it all by myself Romans three ten. there's none righteous not even one there's none who understands there is none who seeks for God that's the way we are that's the way we're born Every individual is born this way. Matthew 21.8 Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds uh, going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now this is called a triumphal entry. Uh, before what we celebrate Easter. And all the the crowds, everybody in Jerusalem was getting all jazzed up. You know what this is? Hosanna to the Son of David. This is, you're the Messiah. You're the hope one. You're the one we've looked for. Yay! And they they, they got all jazzed about this and had a big parade. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Five days later, five days later, Matthew 27:20. 20, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds same crowds to ask for Barabbas to put to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death but the governor said to them which of the two do you want me to release for you and they said Barabbas Pilate said to them then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ they all said they all said crucify him. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, probably most of the people in this crowd had seen him heal or been healed, had seen him feed or been feed. This was the crowd that five days earlier were putting their coats on the ground and the palm branches and screaming and yelling, Hosanna, the son of David, the hope Messiah. So what happened in five days? People just did what people do. That's the way we are by nature. Number seven, this tendency is magnified many times over by the influence of the devil and his demons. I have a dog named Russell, and uh, he's a super hyper dog. Uh, I mean, that, that's sort of an understatement, but I can uh, get him and hold him and scratch his ear and whisper in his ear and talk softly to him. and Nice. Nice, Russell. Good boy. Good boy. Pat him. Scratch him. And you can just feel him quivering when you get him. He just... But pretty soon he starts calming down. Just starts... Nice. Nice, Russell. Good boy. Good boy. Hold him on my lap on the chair. and He calms right down. But there's certain people that come to our house that will uh, shake a stick at him and and start yelling at him. And, come on, Russell. Go. And pretty soon he's just like ready to explode from the inside out. He's just... Crazy. He, he just... Oh, he's just unbelievable. And they just get him all wound up. And uh, so when they drive in, I see him drive in. It's mostly my grandkids. You know, my wife says, Russell's going to bite one. Well, he should. (laughs) So that's exactly what the devil does. He knows the way we are from birth. He knows how our flesh is. And so he talks to us and we hear him in our thoughts. These thoughts pop into our head. He amplifies this natural tendency to reject God and to push Him out of our life and to do it all by ourself without Him. First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away, fall away, fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. They deceive. They're tricky. Deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Corinthians 11.3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived, that's what they do, deceived Eve by his craftiness, Your minds, it's up here, it's how you think. should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Number eight, our understanding of this principle should motivate us to work hard as a witness for Jesus with a strategy that we persevere at in order to overcome this resistance. So, you know, you have a friend, you have a neighbor, you have a relative, somebody you work with, and you invite them to church, and you get this stiff arm. That's the way it is. That's the way everybody is. And uh, the devil's going to amplify that, magnify that, make it even tougher. And so, I want to be a witness for Jesus, influence people to come and to have faith in Christ, so they can live in heaven forever and ever. And it's going to be an uphill battle because you're dealing with people who naturally, every individual is born with this reluctance, resistance. That's yak butter tea. And so it's going to take some praying, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you keep on praying, and you invite, and you invite, and you invite, and you keep on inviting, and you do good things, and you do good deeds for and you keep on doing it, and you just keep at it, and don't get discouraged, because that's just the way it is. First Thessalonians 2, 9, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working, working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim the gospel of God. Number nine, as believers in Jesus, God's desire for us is that we would grow in our relationship with Him. That we would grow in our relationship with Him. So way back in the beginning, when nothing existed except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when they said, let's expand our family, let's create beings that are like us, uh, in our image, in our likeness, uh, that will love us, and we will love them, and they will live in heaven with us forever and ever and ever, and will Wow, it'll be so cool. And they had this plan, but we're going to have to create them with a free will to choose to love us. And we want them to be as much like us as possible because that's when fellowship is real, is when we're like someone. And so when God created Adam, He created him. God could do no better. That was the best. Adam was the top of the line. Any created being is less than God by the very fact that they're created. The distance between Adam and God in character was too great for real fellowship to happen. So God, way back here in the very beginning, uh, planned the earth and life and circumstances and the devil and everything so we would grow and we would become more and more and more like Him in character so that the day we enter into glory, we will be like Him and enjoy Him and He enjoy us for all of eternity. That's the plan of God for our life. Uh, Psalms twenty seven, eight, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. So here's the main point of the sermon this morning, number nine and uh, number ten. Our natural tendency, amplified by the kingdom of darkness, is to grow more distant from God rather than closer. So God wants us to grow, but the problem is, is we're born with this flesh that pushes God away, resists him, really doesn't want him leading, doesn't want him Lord, doesn't want God bossing us around. Doesn't even want God helping us. That's just the way every individual who born is born is. Um, you know, this is January fourth, and it's a time when y'all ought to be writing your goals. And I'm encouraging people. Give me your goals. Give me your goals. By the way, I have you all in my in my iPad and my prayer thing. And if you send your goals to me, I put them right under your name. And when I pray for you every week, I pray down through your goals. Uh, and so, if you wanted to do that, i I'd, I'd, I'd do that for you. Well, Pastor Mike gave me his goals yesterday emailed him to me, and he's got a pretty good list there, and, and uh, ministry goals, he's got family goals and personal goals, and he's got ministry goals, and under his ministry goals, he wants to start doing a bunch with the staff and kind of get the staff close, and so he's come up with these activities for the staff to do, and one of them was, one of his goals is that the staff would all go skydiving together. I read that one, and I thought, yeah, good luck with that one. I can, I can just hear it now, can you imagine trying to get Miss Krause to jump out of an airplane? So what's the problem anyway? Well, gravity is the problem. So gravity, is it work for me and you and everybody? It's pretty consistent across the board. Gravity pulls us down and this nature that we're born with pulls us 24-7 away from God. Uh, it's just a basic fact of life. Matthew 13:20: "The one in whom seed was sown on the rocky places. this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself. It's only temporary, but when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately falls away, falls away. Falls. Key word: falls. Matthew 24:10: "At that time many will fall, will fall away, will betray one another and hate one another. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls, falls away from the living God. 1 Corinthians 10.12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, that he does not fall, fall away from God. Number 11, if we do not faithfully and diligently pursue a growing relationship with God, we will fall away from him. We will. A number of years ago I went on a fishing trip up to Alaska to fish for salmon and, and uh, we decided to go on a charter to fish for halibut uh, in the middle of the salmon fishing trip and we got on a boat and it was one of these cheaper charter things where there was one guy on the boat and so everybody kind of had to help out a little bit as far as bait and hooks and all the stuff that we did and it was a great trip and it was really rough. I mean, it was rough. We went out there quite a long way, just bouncing along in the, the surf. And the guy driving the boat there, he says to me, he says, Would you go out up front there and throw the anchor over? Well, that was not a problem, other than the fact that the only way you could get up front was to go by the cabin, and that, that little thing you walked on was about three inches wide. That, there was no rail on the side, and and it's, just a bunch, and it's water down there, and it's Alaska. And I'm on that thing. And he says to me, Make sure you hang on. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Uh, I mean, it took me like half a day to get up there. I was hanging on so tight. I didn't want to fall over. Uh, there was a fear of falling that kept me safe because I held on. There's a lot of Christians that one day are excited for Jesus and doing well and the next day are indifferent. Uh, have plateaued and have fallen away. There's a lot of Christians who read their Bibles faithfully and then six months later hardly touch it. There's a lot of Christians that plug into prayer, uh, corporate prayer in the church and pray uh, every day and then six months later it just doesn't hardly enter their head. How can that be? Well, that's because the way we are. See, gravity and the pull away from God is a constant 24-7 deal. And it's only the person who hangs onto that rail that doesn't fall off. And we get to a point where, hey, it's cool, I'm, I'm in, I'm great, I've got it down. And we don't have the fear of falling away, and so we don't do what we need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen. And that the number of people who drift away from God, who fall away from God, who were here and end up here, I mean, it's like huge. About uh, 38 years of pastoring, there's nothing that, for me, is more discouraging than to know that any and every individual that I know is capable of that very thing, even me. If we aren't careful and take precautions. So I read my Bible every day. Sometimes it's late and I don't get a word out of it, but I do it anyway. Because I know that if I don't, the next time it's going to be easier not to, and the next time it'll be even easier, and the next time it'll be even easier. And pretty soon, how did I get over here? How did I get so far from where I once was? That's just the way we are. That's the pull that's in us constantly, all the time. This pull away from God instead of towards Him. Number 12, the only way we will be able to be successful at always going up and not going down is to receive help from others. i receive help from others. On our own, we'll never make it. I uh, went up to my brother's uh, Jeff's camp Christian camp in Trout Lake Jonah Ministries and and they got this climbing wall. It's a cool thing. It, you can pull it and it tips up and you know it's this big wall with these little stubbies on it like climbing a rock wall thing. And uh, so everybody's going to do it. And I'm thinking, I don't want to climb up that thing. Well, they have a harness on you with a rope. And there's a pulley clear at the top of it. And then it goes down there. And I, I got talked into doing this climbing wall thing. And I looked at the person on the end of the rope. And they was a, it was a girl about that big, weighed maybe all of 80 pounds. And I looked at her and I looked at me. I said, this isn't going to work. And she says, so you see the, the pulley on your harness and the one up there? And I said, yeah, yeah. She said, now if you know anything about physical science is a four-to-one mechanical advantage I have that means I'm 80 pounds I can uh, that's like 320 pounds Um, you're good you don't weigh that much do you? well no? okay no problem so okay so I start up get my harness start up I get about 10 feet off the ground and I thought this isn't working I think she realized this isn't working so what she did is she pulled on it a little harder than she normally would have and And so, boom, wow, went up there and pretty soon she pulled on a little higher. I went clear to the top. No problem climbing that rock wall for me. Pastor Mike didn't make it to the top. He's an athletic dude. I did. I had a lot of help. See, that's the only way you're going to grow every day of your life and never, ever go backwards, never slip, never fall away from God. God. And you know what it takes for that to happen it needs uh, it takes some humility it's saying I can't do it by myself I need other believers in my life Hebrews 10:24 let us consider how to stimulate one another one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some encouraging one another in all the day all the more as you see the day drawing near Hebrews three thirteen encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. Firm until the end. Here's the scariest verse in the whole Bible. Hebrews six four. For, in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away have fallen away it 's impossible, impossible to renew them again to repentance so it 's not talking about losing your salvation and going to hell, but it is talking about getting to a point in your life where You're not interested that much in God, the Bible, prayer, church, and it isn't going to change. You're going to be stuck there for the rest of your life. Now, it doesn't happen to everyone who falls away a bit, but there is a point, there is a time that you're there long enough or far enough where God says, okay, that's it. And this is your verse. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So I would doubt whether that applies to any of you because you wouldn't be here if you were here. But you ought to read that verse and say, man, I don't want to get there. I don't want that to ever happen to me where I would backslide and get indifferent and not care and not read my Bible and not pray. And I don't want to, I don't want to go there. So you hang on and you, and, and you read your Bible and you spend time 15 minutes a day that's all it takes to spend time with God every day. Read the Bible every day. Uh, gather with other believers regularly, faithfully. Be in an accountability group. Don't take any of this for granted, but pursue God. Pursue Him diligently. Pursue righteousness. Uh, because if you're casual and haphazard, uh, this thing we live in constantly is pulled away from God. Understand that about yourself and guard your heart. Be faithful to the basic disciplines and you will finish well. You will finish well. That's what I want. Sometimes I think, you know, I'm 66 years of age, Lord, I've been doing this. I'm, I, you know, Oh, man, I don't want to mess up now. I'm too close. I can see the end. Help me, Lord, please. I don't want to mess up now. I want to finish in a sprint. And we can do that. But we've got to be careful, and we've got to be diligent, uh, and we've got to be humble uh, and dependent on one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you, we love you. And uh, we confess that' we're often as we live life naive about our own flesh and about the devil and a, how easy it is to drift away from you, how easy it is to uh, leave our first love. And we just say to you this morning, Lord, we don't want that to happen. We want to grow, become like you. We want to become uh, more holy and more in love with you and to please you with our life. So help us to do that, Lord. I pray that we would help each other. Bless us, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.